Hey folks, Andy Patton here. The NCAA tournament is coming up, and today I'm going to take a look at the four teams that I believe pose the biggest threat to Gonzaga's national title hopes. I'll take a look at these teams' biggest strengths, their biggest weaknesses, what the Zags knew, need to do in order to win it all. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. I want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day. It is sincerely appreciated to be a part of your morning routine on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. If you have not checked out the show, it is also on YouTube as well. Just go to youtube.com, search Locked on Zags, hit that subscribe button. We hit 300 subscribers, which is a great deal for me. I would love to get up to 500 subscribers before the end of the month of March when Gonzaga will hopefully still be playing basketball, which is the topic that I want to talk about today. The Zags are in the middle of the WCC play. They're obviously taking care of business against the majority of the teams they are playing. And this season is a little bit different than last season where there just there isn't a lot of other teams that are really strong. There are a handful of other very good teams, of course, but last year there was, oh, it was Gonzaga and Baylor, and it was always the talk. It was kind of known that those were the top two teams in the country. And while the NCAA tournament had a ton of surprises, including Oregon State in the Elite Eight, UCLA going from a play-in game to a Final Four, Ultimately, the championship game did come down to Gonzaga and Baylor, as many had projected. This year, it's much more difficult to see how things are going to play out in that way. Of course, Gonzaga and Baylor could end up being a rematch. They are certainly two of the best teams in the country. One could argue the two best teams in the country. But what I wanted to do today was take a look at the top 10, 15 or so teams and kind of break it down into the four teams in my mind that I believe pose the biggest threat to Gonzaga based on matchups, just individual watching of the of those other teams and the kind of performances that they've had and kind of how that could impact Gonzaga. This is not a comprehensive list. These are four teams that I believe pose a big threat to Gonzaga. It does not mean that Gonzaga will not lose to anybody else. There are a lot of good teams this year, and certainly Gonzaga has proven that they are not infallible. They can lose. They can struggle. We have seen that earlier in the season. We have not seen it lately, which is fantastic. It appears they are peaking at the right time. But I want to talk about a couple of these teams in case they end up being matchups that Gonzaga does run into and kind of what those situations may play out like. The first team we want to talk about is pretty obvious, uh, the Auburn Tigers. Of course, the number one ranked team in the country. According to the AP poll, Gonzaga is second for the second week in a row. Auburn is number six in the Ken Palm ratings. They are 20-1. and On the season, their only loss was an overtime loss to UConn early in the year. They have a ton of signature wins. They picked up wins over Alabama, of course, which was used a lot in the argument for them being the number one team in the country because Gonzaga, of course, lost to Alabama in Seattle. Uh, They've picked up a win over Kentucky. It was, of course, after point guard Ty Ty Washington went down with an injury during the game. Kentucky was leading at the time, so there are some people who maybe believe that Kentucky would beat Auburn again, which they will get the opportunity to do so soon. Uh, They also have wins over Florida, Louisiana State, plenty of other good teams. The SEC is better than it's been in a very long time. 
and Auburn is a big part of the reason why. Uh, so I want to go through pros and cons or strengths and weaknesses and how it relates to matchups that they would run into with Gonzaga. Uh, the pros, number one is Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith is really, really good. He's averaging 15.5 points, just under seven rebounds per game. He's shooting 40% from three. He is a six foot 10, 220-pound point forward. He's a lot like Paulo Bancaro, who is a player that Gonzaga had a very hard time stopping. He's a player that every team has had a really hard time stopping because six foot ten guys who can handle the basketball and shoot from the perimeter are really, really rare and really, really good. Jabari Smith is going to be a problem for the Zags. I don't I think Anton Watson is going to draw the assignment of of defending him should these two teams play. Drew Timmy doesn't have the lateral movement and the ability to defend him away from the rim. Uh, and Chad Holmgren's going to have his hands full with the other big pro for Auburn, which is Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler is having a tremendous season. Transfer from North Carolina, considered Gonzaga, Gonzaga heavily, which would have been absolutely wild if he was in a Gonzaga uniform this year. He's a seven foot one, two hundred and forty five pounds, and an elite shot blocker. Four blocks per game on average. This dude is probably the best shot blocker in the country, and he'd be going up against probably the second best shot blocker in the country in Chet Holmgren. But Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith on the floor at the same time give Auburn one of the few front courts in the country that can handle Gonzaga's size and that is as good or better than Gonzaga's front court. This, this duo is really, really tough. Walker Kessler, again, elite shot blocker, would have a would have the ability to help shut down Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren down low. I don't think that those guys would go scoreless necessarily, but it would be the most difficult game they have had trying to convert shots around the rim. We saw them struggle against a good shot blocker in Mark Williams against Duke. Kessler is better than that. He would give them a lot of challenges. And then Jabari Smith, who's not an elite shot blocker necessarily, but is an elite offensive weapon who would be really difficult for Gonzaga to defend. Beyond that, Auburn takes really... Good care of the basketball. Gonzaga thrives on getting a lot of turnovers. Auburn only turns the ball over about 11 and a half times per game. They have really good guard play as well. So this would be a really tough matchup. Some of the cons for Auburn are some of their weaknesses. They're not a great outside shooting team. In fact, they're they're below average. In that regard, they're shooting 33.2% from three on the season. That is good for 208th. In the country, in conference play, they are only shooting 31.2%. So they have not been a good three-point shooting team. They have not been an improving three-point shooting team the way that Gonzaga has. Uh, Katie Johnson is their starting guard. He's about 35% from three. Wendell Green is just under 34% from three. Both those guys are very streaky. So it would not be a surprise to see them both struggle in the same game, shooting from beyond the arc if they were to do that against Gonzaga. That would make it much more difficult for them to win. And beyond that, one thing we've seen a lot of teams have a lot of success with is really bullying Gonzaga's guards. I don't think Auburn has the size or the ability necessarily to do that. Johnson's 6'1", 190. Wendell Green is 5'11", 170. Just not very big guards. I think Andrew Nembhard and Rasir Bolton and Hickman and Salas off the bench would have the ability to kind of fight through any pressure that they would put on them to kind of bully them back a little bit. And I think that's an advantage that would go towards Gonzaga. Next up, the second team I want to talk about in this segment is, of course, the defending national champion, Baylor Bears. Baylor is third in the Ken Palm ratings. They are 19-3 and on the season. Their three losses are to Bama, 
Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, so Gonzaga is very familiar with two of their three opponents who have managed to defeat them this year. Uh, The pros for Baylor uh, are somewhat similar to their pros last year in a lot of ways. Uh, They are very, very efficient on offense. They're averaging just under 79 points per game on a 48% field goal. They are averaging over 17 assists per game, which is 11th in the country. They pass the ball really well. They score the ball really efficiently. They're 55% on two-pointers. They're 37% on three-pointers. This team can straight up put the ball in the hoop as good as anybody in the country. Any team that is really that efficient at scoring the basketball is going to be a problem, not just for Gonzaga, but for anybody. It's really hard to stop an offense that churns the way that the Baylor Bears churn. And that's what makes Gonzaga so great is because their offense is hyper-efficient as well. Another big pro for the Bears, they have a very balanced scoring attack really balanced. LJ Cryer is averaging 14 points. Adam Flagler is about 13. James Akinjo is about 13. Kendall Brown's 10. Matthew Mayer is also 10. All those guys on any given night can be the dude for the Baylor Bears. It makes it much more difficult to game plan against them. At least with Auburn, you know, hey, we need to find a way to stop Jabari Smith. If other guys on this team beat us, then so be it. With Baylor, that is much more difficult to do. You can try really hard to game plan against Akinjo, who's probably their best player. But if you do that, you run the risk of Kendall Brown going off for 25. Or LJ Cryer going off for 25. Or Matthew Mayer going off. Like They just have so many weapons on the offensive side. And like I said, they're so efficient offensively. It's really difficult to find a way to shut them down without just playing elite team defense from 1 through 8. Every single player has to be on top of their game defensively in order to beat this team. And then, of course, physicality from the guards. This is what really impacted Gonzaga last year. In the national championship game, yes, they don't have Jared Butler. Yes, they don't have Davion Mitchell. They don't have Macy Oteague, three of their really star guards from last year who really helped push Gonzaga around a little bit. But they still have really big physical guards. They still have the ability to do that. They're still coached by Scott Drew, who is aware of what worked against Gonzaga last year and would be perfectly willing to implement as similar of a strategy as possible, forcing Gonzaga to adjust and prove that they can defeat that style of defense. They also defend the three extremely well. They're holding teams under 30% from three. We've mentioned Gonzaga being a streaky outside shooting team. They would need to be that team shooting 45 plus percent like they have done in conference play in order to defeat Baylor if these two teams were to run into each other again. And then the last thing for the pros, they run a lot of four or five guard lineups. They don't have like a lot of true bigs. This could be really tough for Drew Timmy, who was exploited the last time these two teams played, of course, and had to play a lot of defense around the perimeter, which is not his strength moving laterally, not a, not a strength of his. So he would be difficult in this game because he would probably be forced to play away from the perimeter a lot. They also have the ability to pull Chet Holmgren away from the rim which is something I imagine that Scott Drew and company are going to look to do as much as possible if these two teams meet because Chet Holmgren around the rim is a complete menace, but Chet Holmgren away from the rim, while he's still a good defensive player, is not as useful for Gonzaga. The cons kind of just leaned into it a little bit. Uh, they don't have a ton of size. Uh, their top seven guys per, uh, minutes-wise are 6'9 or shorter. 6'10 Flo Thamba is their biggest player. He's not a great rim protector. He's a decent rebounder. He only plays about 16, 17 minutes per game, so not a huge impact for that for them. Uh, he's a ba- they're a bad free-throw shooting team. That's the number two con. They're shooting sixty, just under 69% on the season, which is good for 255th in the country. They're a little better in conference play, but still barely over 70%. Uh, if this game were to be close and were to come down to the wire, that's where that free throw shooting would obviously be an issue for Baylor. 
And then the last thing is their offense goes through really bad scoring droughts. We've seen this against Oklahoma State, a game that they should have won, and they just could not put the ball in the basket. I think part of it is they don't really have a go-to scorer. Last year, they could really go to Butler or they could go to Mitchell and just kind of say, hey, go get us a bucket. They have talented offensive players this year. Don't get me wrong. But I think the the fact that the offense is so spread out and so many different guys, when there's multiple players struggling at once, they don't have a go-to guy that they can just kind of get the ball in his hands and let him go to work. And I think that contributes to some of these droughts. If you have a scoring drought against Gonzaga, you're going to lose. It is very, very hard to defeat this team that is just a a well-oiled machine offensively if you go through a scoring drought. So if Gonzaga manages to put Baylor in a situation where they don't score for two or three minutes at a time, go on a nice 10-0, 12-0 run, that's the kind of thing that could end up sinking a team like Baylor. So I think Gonzaga has the ability to do that against this team, but it's going to be tough. This is not an easy team uh, by any stretch of the imagination. All right, two teams discussed in the first segment. We're going to come back in segment two, talk about two other challengers for the Zags, including our good friend Tommy Lloyd's team. But first, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games. That's BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and we're still going through the four teams I believe pose the biggest threat to Gonzaga in their hopes of winning a national championship game. We talked about the Auburn Tigers in the first segment and the Baylor Bears as well. Now here in segment two, we got two teams that we're going to discuss that I think pose a big threat to Gonzaga. The first one is the eighth ranked team in Ken Palm. That is the Boilermakers of Purdue University. Purdue is 18 and three on the year. They have losses to Wisconsin and then not so good losses to Rutgers and Indiana, but they also picked up wins over North Carolina, over Florida State, over Iowa and over Villanova. The pros for this team are pretty simple. They are huge. They have a ton of size. Their starting center, 7 foot 4, 285 pounds, Zach 80. If you have not seen this young man play ball yet, he is a mammoth down low. 7 foot 4. He's a true freshman. He's averaging 15.7 and a half rebounds per game. He's a complete load. There are not a lot of dudes, and Walker Kessler, who we talked about earlier, is one of them, who are just straight up bigger and stronger and more physical than Chet Holmgren. I know, I know Chet's been criticized for his physicality, but his length, his ability to impact shots has been virtually unchallenged all year long, and Kessler and Zach Eady would be two of the players most likely to challenge him in that regard. Beyond ED, they also have six foot ten, two hundred and sixty-five pound Trevion Williams. Trevion Williams is averaging twelve and a half points, eight and a half rebounds, and three assists per night. Now, the thing with these two bigs from Purdue is they both only play about twenty minutes per night. It's a strange substitution pattern that the Boilermakers are doing, so they can kind of be exploited by two big lineups because these two guys are not on the floor at the same time all of that often. So if Gonzaga's playing significant minutes with both Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren, which they always do, 
that could potentially put more strain on Purdue's other players to step up and play more physical defense because Gonzaga has that size. It may also put Purdue in a position where they play both Edie and Williams at the same time, which is something they haven't done a ton of. That does slow them down a little bit and allows Gonzaga to potentially get out in transition a little bit more with a less athletic lineup on the floor for Purdue. Uh, Other pros, they have elite guard play from Jaden Ivey, one of the best young guards in the NCAA, perhaps the best young guard in the NCAA expected top five or at least top six pick in the NBA draft. Ivy's averaging 17 points, five rebounds, three assists. He is shooting 44% from downtown on the season on just under five attempts per game, which leads to my other pro. Purdue shoots the crap out of the basketball. They are one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. As a team, they are shooting 41.2%. That is third third in the country. Williams is the six foot ten power forward. Trayvon Williams is shooting 37.5%. Sasha Stefanovic is shooting 42% on six and a half attempts per game. That dude is complete money from beyond the arc. Mason Gill is shooting 51% on two and a half attempts per game. This is a great outside shooting team with a ton of size in the paint. They're the fourth highest scoring team in the country. It is not hard to see why Purdue would be a really tough matchup for Gonzaga. Yes, they have some bad losses. Yes, they're no longer considered like guaranteed number one seed going all the way to the Final Four type team, but this team has some weapons and could be a problem. The cons for Purdue, they're not very good defensively. That is the biggest con. They give up 68.1 points per game, which is not bad, certainly, but Gonzaga is a team that can score a heck of a lot more than that. They don't force a lot of turnovers, which makes it a little bit easier for Gonzaga's guards to get into their routine, get into their rhythm, hopefully you know, make good passes and get, get, get guys the ball in positions to score. Uh, they, despite their size, they're not a good shot blocking team. Edie's not a great shot blocker. Williams is not much of a shot blocker, uh, and they don't put a lot of pressure up front. So I think Gonzaga could really exploit them in the pick and roll. I think that would be the biggest thing that would come into play in this game is Gonzaga would run pick and roll actions all day long with either Timmy or Holmgren. And of course, Nembhard with the ball either get switches, in which case Nemhard can take the big men off the dribble or dump the ball into the, to the post. Who's got a smaller guy on them or they won't get switches, in which case they should be able to exploit situations in the pick and roll that way. I think they're going to get out in transition well against this team, and I think that's something that's not Purdue's strength as well. They also don't have a ton of size outside of Edie and Williams, so if they can get those guys into foul trouble or just run them down and get them physically exhausted and force some of Purdue's other not-as-big players to come into the game to replace them, that's another spot that could be an advantage, of course, for the Zags. Last up, the fourth team. Again, I don't think there's only four teams that can beat Gonzaga out there, but these are the four that I think present the best matchup. Uh, That would be, of course, the Wildcats of Arizona, Tommy Lloyd's new team. They're number four in Ken Palm. They are 17-2 and on the season. Their two losses came to Tennessee in the non-conference slate, and then they got beat pretty badly by UCLA last week in their first matchup of the season. Arizona does have some nice wins. They got a win over Wyoming, a very good Mountain West team. They got wins over Illinois and Michigan, but they also have not played a particularly challenging schedule and have lost two of the two, two of the better opponents they have played. So they are a bit of an anomaly at this point in the season. The pros for Tommy Lloyd's team, they have some great, great size up front. Azulis Tubelis is excellent. Six foot 11 power forward for them. Christian Coloco, seven foot one center. Tabellis is averaging 14 points, six boards, three assists. 
Coloco is averaging 13.75 boards and 3.2 blocks per game. Another great shot blocker that Gonzaga would run into if they were to play Arizona. He's also shooting 64% on two-pointers, so a highly efficient scorer down low and a great shot blocker. And then, of course, they have good depth behind those two guys in Umar Balo, former Gonzaga player who's averaging 7.5 points and 4.5 rebounds off the bench for Arizona. They're three bigs are not quite as good as Gonzaga's three bigs of Holmgren, Timmy, and Anton Watson, but this is one of the best three big groups in the country and gives them enough size and depth up front to really challenge Gonzaga for a full 40 minutes. Beyond that, Arizona is excellent defensively. They're holding opponents to just under 65 points per game. They force a ton of turnovers, and they have the thing that Gonzaga fans dread, length on the perimeter. Ben Mathurin is six foot seven and has really long arms. Kirk Creese, their starting point guard, six foot three. Justin Keir is six foot four. A lot of length on the perimeter, a lot of length down low. Really tough team defensively because of all that size, because they're well coached, because of all that experience. This is a tough team to score the basketball on, and is something that Gonzaga would would struggle with more than most other teams is to try to score on this Arizona team. Beyond that, they are very fast-paced and they are very efficient. Two really, really big calling cards, of course, of Gonzaga's offense under Mark Few for the last 20 years, so it's not a surprise to see Tommy Lloyd take a similar approach in his first season as a head coach. They have the third highest tempo in the country per Ken Palm. Gonzaga is second. They are also 48% from the field on the year, which is 26th in the country. So fast-paced, efficient, calling cards of Tommy Lloyd, which is their other pro. They have Tommy Lloyd. That is a big pro for this team, not just because he is a great coach, but because he knows Mark Few better than any coach in the NCAA. He knows him inside and outside. He knows his tendencies. He knows what decisions he makes in-game. He knows what kind of things he's going to do to prep for this game. He knows everything. He knows Gonzaga's players really well. Not all of them. Obviously, he wasn't around for Chet Holmgren or Hunter Salas or Nolan Hickman or Rasir Bolton, but he knows Anton Watson. He knows Drew Timmy. He knows Andrew Nembhard. You know, he's he's familiar with these players. Now, this, of course, goes both ways. Mark Few doesn't know Arizona's players as well, but he knows Tommy Lloyd really well. He knows what kind of coach he is, what kind of stuff he's going to implement. So it's a bit of a pro and a con. Uh, the other cons for Arizona, they're a streaky outside shooting team only shooting 33% from the three. They're shooting under 30% in conference play. That's 29.9%. So not a good outside shooting team. Their only really good shooter is Mathurin, who is shooting 36.5%. So good, not elite, but good. The only player, on, the only regular player on their roster who's over 35% from three. So this is a straight up not good three-point shooting team. And that's something that would allow Gonzaga to get an advantage if they're outscoring uh, twos and threes, building up a lead that way. It's tougher for Arizona to come back if they can't shoot the outside shot. Arizona's guard play has also been pretty inconsistent this year. Kirk Kreese is averaging 10.5 points and 5 assists, but he's also averaging 2.5 turnovers per game. He struggles at times with his shot. We've seen him go through pretty ridiculous cold stretches, being unable to shoot the basketball. Dalen Terry is their other guard. He's a really nice player. He's just not a scorer. Six and a half points per game, but he is averaging five boards and four assists. He's shooting 24% from downtown, so just not a shooter. So this team doesn't have, they're a great scoring team and an efficient scoring team, but they're not an outside shooting team. And I think that the pace that they play at is maybe not an advantage for them. They play at a high pace, which has helped them win a lot of games this year. But against Gonzaga, a team that also plays at a high pace, that has a lot of depth, I think it could be a tricky, tricky matchup for Arizona. All right. 
Coming back in the third segment, we just got a few various news and notes type things that I want to cover real quick. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Rock Auto. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it is now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning, like is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Plus, Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpets. I just had my 13-year-old car serviced recently, and I can tell you, having one place to find all the parts I need makes it infinitely easier. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. We talked about the four teams that I believe will give Gonzaga the biggest trouble this season. That would be the Auburn Tigers, the Baylor Bears, the Purdue Boilermakers, and the Arizona Wildcats. That's not to say that Kentucky or Kansas or, of course, Duke, who already beat Gonzaga this year by three. That's not to say that those teams are not challengers to Gonzaga. That would They would not give Gonzaga a really, really good game were those teams to meet necessarily. But I do think that the four teams, the aforementioned four teams probably present the biggest threat to Gonzaga and will force Mark Few and the staff to work really hard to exploit whatever matchups they can in order to win those games. Here in the third segment, I just want to talk about a few things that came up this last week. Of course, I already touched on this earlier, but the Zags are number two in the AP poll. They remain in the number two spot. The Auburn Tigers, who were number one last week, did not lose last week. If you are number one and you don't lose, you rarely drop to number two. Of course, Gonzaga did, in fact, do that themselves, so it is possible. And Gonzaga lost a few first-place votes. They had a few more last week. I'm not concerned about this at all. It does not matter to me. I would like to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. That is important to me because I think it's a good status and it also gives you a, a likely easier path to the national championship game. I think Gonzaga is going to be the number one seed in the West. I talked about this on Mailbag Monday. I don't see a lot of... I don't see a situation where Gonzaga doesn't be the number one seed in the West unless they lose a bad game that they really should not lose. Uh, UCLA and Arizona are kind of already cannibalizing themselves a little bit. UCLA pounded Arizona, which hurt Arizona's chances. UCLA, of course, got beat very badly by Gonzaga, which hurts their chances of being the West number one seed over Gonzaga. We'll see how the rest of the Pac-12 plays out, but I think Gonzaga is pretty likely to be the number one seed in the West Coast, which in my mind... I don't care whether they're the number one ranked team in the AP poll. It just does not really matter to me. Beyond that, Andrew Nemphard was named on the Bob Cousy Award finalist, the top 10. So there's only 10 point guards remaining on this list. It is expected that the top five will come out sometime in mid-February. Andrew Nemphard has a great chance to not only be on that top five, but to win this award for the best point guard in college basketball. He was considered a frontrunner to start the year. Certainly he was on the preseason watch list. He had that game, that excellent game against UCLA, one of the best performances of his career. Basically solidified, hey, this man is the Bob Cousy Award finalist. Then he went on a pretty rough stretch. 
he kind of had he had a bad game against Charleston State, struggled against Duke, struggled against Alabama, kind of didn't really find his footing until the start of conference play. Was really just kind of out of sorts for a little bit, turning the ball over more, not shooting the ball well, not looking very confident offensively. Lately, he has looked excellent. He's back to being the player we know he is. His outside shooting has picked up a ton. He's been a very, very good outside shooter lately, something I did not expect and I am happy to have been wrong about. I did not think that Andrew Nembhard would turn on the outside shooting the way that he has. Uh, He's probably the best pick-and-roll point guard in the country. He is so lethal at making the correct decisions, making the right passes, hitting that mid-range shot, stepping back and pulling up for three. All of that stuff, I think that's a huge advantage for Gonzaga in every game that they play is Andrew Nembhard's ability to effectively utilize the pick-and-roll. And I think there's a really, I mean, Ty Ty Washington's in this conversation. Certainly there are other great point guards in the NCAA who deserve to be a part of this conversation. But unless Andrew Nembhard regresses again, this could be his award to lose. And then finally, the John Wooden Award Top 20 Candidates came out. Of course, the John Wooden Award for the greatest player in college basketball that season. Two Zags made the list, the top 20. That is, of course, Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren. Timmy continues to remain a National Player of the Year candidate, so not a surprise to see him here. His numbers have dipped a little bit the last few games. He had that really rough game against San Francisco, did not do a whole lot against LMU, just kind of has has dipped a little bit. Again, I think it's partly because they're getting Chet Holmgren more involved in the offense down low. They're getting Anton Watson more involved in the offense down low. They haven't needed Drew Timmy to win all of their games. Last year, they felt like they needed Drew Timmy a lot of the time this year. They haven't needed him as much, which is a good thing for the team. It is not as good of a thing for Drew Timmy's hopes to be the National Player of the Year. He's still firmly in that conversation. Holmgren, I would be surprised. He's obviously playing extraordinary basketball right now. His impact on the floor offensively and defensively is basically unmatched in the NCAA right now. So I can understand why he's a part of this conversation. But he's not putting up the 20 points per game. He's not the team's like go-to offensive scoring option, although he has been lately. He is not viewed that way by the national media, and I don't think that that's going to lead to him getting a lot of traction as a potential player of the year candidate. I think the real candidates, of course, I do think Timmy is in that conversation. But for me, the list is going to look something like Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, Kofi Cockburn from Illinois, Ben Mathurin from Arizona, Keegan Murray from Iowa, Jaden Ivey from Purdue. Those are kind of the names that I think are right in that conversation. There are other players that I'm sure that I am forgetting as well. Uh, Not intentionally, of course, just those are the names that popped into my head. So those guys, Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy, all in that conversation as well. I would be somewhat surprised if either of the Zags took home this, this trophy. I think right now Johnny Davis looks like a pretty clear front runner, assuming he continues to shoot as well as he has for the Badgers of Wisconsin. But again, just having two players from Gonzaga on the top 20 list is pretty dang impressive. All right, that is going to do it for me today. We got USD and BYU this week, two fun games for the Zags. Look out for plenty of coverage ahead of that Thursday night showdown. All right here on the Locked on Zags podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. Search youtube.com, search Locked on Zags, find that podcast, hit that subscribe button if you have not already. Finally, thank you again to those of you who made this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your sports gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!